to learn from you. And hopefully we can all learn from you that this is a better way to do things in a way that doesn't uh, put other taxpayers at, at risk and provide services that are so desperately needed. Thank you all. And you were just listening to News from the Boo featuring testimony at today's public uh, Portland City Council meeting on the Enhanced Service District for the Central East Side neighborhood. That is the neighborhood that KBOO Studios are located. The Enhanced Service District proposal was passed by the Portland City Council after the hearing today uh, with nearly 50 community members testifying, most of whom were opposed of the proposal. You're listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503 231 8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, unless otherwise noted. The Engineering Committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Please join us. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the Sexbots Cat Party on Saturday, February 9th at 9 p.m. at the Bit House Saloon in Portland. One woman art pop trickster, The Sexbots, is back with a rap album about losing it and becoming a cat lady. This album has recurring themes of violence against women, street harassment, loneliness, and quietly watching one's life disintegrate. This event is the album release party and features Kitty Go-Go's, a cat lady costume contest, and a pet psychic. Again, that's The Sexbots Cat Party on Saturday, February 9th at 9pm at the Bit House Saloon, 727 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland. More information is available at kboo.fm on the right-hand side of the homepage under Community Events. It's a couple minutes past six. Coming up next, we have Kitchen Table Confidential. Sorry, <laughs> conversations. KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO member listeners and support from Trillium Public Charter School in North Portland. Enrollment for the 2019-2020 school year is now open for students K through 12 with an open house on Friday around February 21st at 6:30 p.m. More information online at trilliumcharterschool.org. Coming up next we have kitchen table conversations and for the show we have an interview. Delphine Crescenzo was station manager at KBOO for two years and a longtime advocate and ally to marginalized communities here in the United States and abroad long before entering the community radio scene. Delphine sadly is no longer station manager or a KBOO community member and we sit down to talk about why as well as her goals and hopes for the future and immediate personal experiences that she went through here at the station. Over 50 years of community radio, KBOO has gained a reputation as an outpost and broadcast system to amplify and create access for the most vulnerable among us. In this interview, we find out what that looks like behind the scenes and from a multitude of different vantage points that you as a listener might not always get a chance to appreciate. Stay tuned. Okay, Delphine, thank you, uh, first of all, for sitting down for an interview. It's 
pleasure chatting. It's my pleasure. I'm um, <clears throat> I'm very thankful for an opportunity to share my thoughts with you. Okay. And well, our audience. What roles have you served in the Kibu community? Well, I have been a programmer, trainer, board member, and uh, I served on several committees, and I've also been station manager. Okay. And listener, of course. And member, a member. Member, listener, fan. Yes. <laughs> what initially drew you to community radio culture? Well, I'm a community organizer, so I'm, I've always been very interested in communities where there is an opportunity for self-governance. Um, I think I'm just very displeased with the you know current system and um, I've always been looking for um, yeah communities and opportunities to uh, try uh, different ways of collaborating with people. I was introduced to community radio uh, really back in Bloomington, Indiana when I was um, uh, working in the native community and one of my friend uh, Rebecca Rial uh, uh, told me we're going to take over this native show. <laughs> uh, she uh, she was native and uh, she thought it was very important uh, uh, for native people to have a voice on the community radio space and so she introduced me to the concept of community radio and she introduced me to all the skills that she knew and had as a journalist and uh, we uh, co-hosted Native Spirit on WFHB for some time. And uh, when I moved to Portland in 2011, Kebu was the first place that I visited because I am someone who believes in popular education, which is a concept of uh, you know, everybody has something to learn, everybody has something to teach, but also, of, you know, uh, th there shouldn't be any age barrier or any status barrier. It's not because you're older that you know more, you just have different experiences, but the youth also have experiences that are also as valid. So community radio is very much about, you know, each other sharing the skills that we have and teaching each other. So I was very, uh, very into that particular uh, concept. I found, you know, a way through radio to share some ideas and I found that people listened and I felt that that was very empowering. But then as I came to Kebu and I started with uh, Bread and Roses, which was just an amazing concept. It's a collective that has been around for uh, 40 years. It's going to be 40th anniversary this year, I believe. And um, that collective uh, was created by uh, women who had the intention of sharing space, but also training with um, other women-identified folks. As I started recruiting for that collective and training more people, I started to realize that uh, my voice was not as important as many other voices, especially that of the students that I had access to, for example, youth with uh, mental challenges, adults also who have um, mental health, adults who just are accessing education uh, later in their lives. So all of these folks I thought had stories that were much more important than mine to share and so I just started really seeing community radio as an opportunity to access the stories and the voices that are really missing in the mainstream not just the mainstream, just in the dialogue period, right. you know, because, and I'm so thankful now for social media, but it also is an issue because you can choose or not to access it, mm. you know, you can choose or not to friend or follow someone who has certain ideas but or who share certain perspectives but it gives people more of a uh, opportunity to share from their own perspective because my issue has always been how and especially in studying oppression and race and especially in the United States and Europe and in the context of imperialism stories I've always told by someone else than the actual person who's experienced it right and so first account first person narratives of women or people of color are just like really rare they do exist they are there and i'm so thankful for new generations of historians that are digging those out and they're coming up you know with, with with those historical documents as well but 
As a journalist, I was trained to tell someone's story. As an anthropologist, I was trained to tell someone's story, to study someone. And I think that is very problematic. Absolutely. Well, it's the objectification of an experience. Right. Exactly. Well, and so with all of these realizations, you come to how amplification and access to that empowerment is really going to uplift everybody <clears throat> at the same time. Right. There's no need to run around and put, put a microphone in front of everybody, teach them how to access a microphone, get a microphone, keep the doors open for them. Right. And so that's that's where Kabu enters. And so you found Kabu to be a suitable environment, a suitable structure to facilitate those ideas and those philosophies. Yeah, I definitely did, but I also found that there were some challenging for people of color, especially for young people, to access the space. Mm -hmm. Folks have shared lots of perspective with about their experiences at KBU, and in the end, what I can conclude is that then what I decided that I wanted to do was become more involved in the government, self-governing part of KBU, mm -hmm. in order to be able to bring more diversity there as well. May I ask a question? Um, these, these realizations, these obstacles for more marginalized communities in, in KBU as a whole, were you aware of these obstacles, these problematic issues, before you became involved with the KBU community and came in with an intention to, mm -hmm. to forge a path to, to forge more access for these communities or was it something you were made aware of uh, once you were yeah. involved? So I was not aware whatsoever whenever I came to uh, Kebu. Um, I came from an even less diverse community in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. and um, my partner at the time, uh, a man of color, uh, was um, you know, very excited about moving to the West Coast and seeing how much more diverse the space was, you know. You know, I think like everybody at first, you're kind of like, or maybe everybody at first who come from less diverse <laughs> areas, you are, you know, happily maybe surprised, especially uh, Kebu, to hear the diversity of voices that I have access to including in different languages. Right, right. But very, very quickly becoming involved with Bread and Roses, I became aware of the racial barriers because yeah. that is the major issue that Bread and Roses was having. That and acceptance of trans folks. So as the collective made a decision to change our mission statement to reflect being open to women-identified folks instead of just women, right? Um, then some folks decided to leave. They decided that that, that kind of feminism did not reflect uh, what they wanted to stand for. Yeah. Well, which, then I actually owe you a debt of gratitude. Ah, <laughs> there we yes. Well, Bread and Roses uh, actually was one of the first collectives I joined as well. Um, well, and I'm an intersex person. I was assigned female at birth, and that's, you know, how I identify. I view gender in a completely different manner than a lot of people do traditionally. But for real, that's it's really cool that that feminist yeah. collective has kept going. Right. Came along, here I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I'm just really glad because a whole lot of folks have contributed to this collective uh, since, but what, you know, but it's what been you're open. Saying is the right. initial voice you right. hear on Kebu is what leads you to uh, be attracted to a sort of a message of diversity, a culture of diversity, right. different languages, there's different cultures being represented. Um, but the actual culture inside of Kibu, once you become involved in the collective and management of such, right. you see different things happening. Yeah, absolutely. I really realized at that time that there was nobody equipped at Kibu to help me navigate that situation. That I actually, with my training, I was, I was more qualified, I knew more how to handle that situation than anybody on staff. Okay, so you're saying it was a very white-friendly environment inside of Kibu, uh, as far as white culture, and then hearing, having uh, friends and relations within these other communities, um, you heard more, you heard a story that was different than what was reflected at Kibu, and these, these stories were not being listened to. Yeah, I definitely think so. <clears throat> and I also think that when those stories were told, because they were told, 
many, many, many times. There's documentation. The people who call a caucus created a document uh. in 2011. Uh, no, in 2007. Uh, another document was created in 2011. Uh, the beloved community, people who call a caucus, has also created documents. And so people have been saying and sharing, you know, their perspectives, but nothing had ever been done. And again, what I realized is that nothing had been done because nobody actually knew what to do. And actually no white person had understood that it was their responsibility, not black people's responsibility, right. not Hispanics' responsibility, not native right. responsibilities, but the responsibility of white people to change the culture, to change the space, to bring these people in to create the resources that were necessary for retaining these folks and have the hard conversations with the white people about their privilege and about why, why reparations is the only way forward. Which is a very, very difficult ambassadorship to take on, which yeah. is why so many white people are yeah. avoidant of that subject. I came to Kebu thinking that because of the reputation of Kebu, people that, be more open. No, that we were already working towards it. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, well, that is, you know, that's honestly the first impression that the station gives. Like, that's the exactly, first impression. Exactly, which is why well, it's also I decided... It's the city of Portland. That's kind of the, one of the first impressions that Portland gives as well. It's, that it's an incredibly diverse space, and there are black people here in Portland. There are people of color here in Portland, but looking at the media outlet like Kibo, there's not a reflection of their voices accurately. So holding space for more access for people of color and creating reparations by moving aside your access, what you have already, is a way forward, is the way forward. And I agree with that. I completely hold having 100% open access and prioritizing people whose stories have been marginalized. It's one of the important reasons on an intersex level I have really hoped to bring the discussion forward about gender and sexuality, being clear about this whole division of humanity, of which race is another one. Yeah. Um, and I brought that issue to Kibu as well and found my, found my reality to be perfectly sidetracked by oh, yeah. much more convenient talking points mm -hmm. that fit along with a, a certain landscape that KB was trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so then mm -hmm. either you're okay being objectified and tokenized, or you're exactly. and tokenized or you're not. Exactly. And unfortunately, even when you're not, and that is for me the piece that's the most disgusting piece, because even when you're not okay with being tokenized and being marginalized in that way, you still do it. Why? Because you understand the power there is for your community exactly. and you want to preserve the space. Exactly. And that, in my opinion, is outrageous. It's outrageous because you're asking people to perform for crackers. And it's outrageous because Kebu puts out everyday content that says to the contrary. And so we've reached the issue that you, myself, as, as honestly white people who have been sheltered to much of this experience, it's become so glaringly obvious to us and we have heard and seen your friend from Bread and Rose's story repeated and recycled over and over and over. Many, many people of color have left Kebu in the same manner out of protest or because of out of being shunned by the right. community when they speak out about, against this culture. We can we can hear from them directly. I won't repeat anybody's names or stories, but it's it's obviously a culture that people have to see on some level and then either accept it and stay silent or not accept it and leave. Right. What kind of actions as station manager over the last two years you were station manager? What kind of actions and, and projects have you have you brought forward specifically and worked on to address these issues? So even before I was station manager, I was part of the Beloved Community Initiative. So as I say very quickly, I started becoming involved with the board and with organizing more of those trainings. Uh, the station manager at the time, Monica Beamer, 
Schumer and Mike Crenshaw um, had started on a path to train staff and key volunteers, so trainers and receptionists. And at the time, I was a trainer. I was training uh, introduction, teaching introduction to audio production and how to make an exciting public affairs. <laughs> and so... I was invited to go to, you know, the the one about uh, about racism. And so, as I say, racism was not a new thought for me. I have learned and taught about racism and its historical impact on our communities, our country, the world, not just black people, all of us. Right. Right. So, you know, Monica realized that, you know, I was already very informed and asked me to join and work with her to put some of those workshops together because out of staff and, and key volunteers becoming trained became the desire then to take this information to other volunteers. And then we started creating this monthly discussion group. So once a month is the first Saturday at noon, from noon to two o'clock, uh, Kibu volunteers, members, listeners, staff meet and have conversations. Um, uh, in the past uh, few years, either we've read articles or watched movies by the community, uh, written or, or, or made by the community that, that it's talked about, that we are learning about. We've also practice interrupting so the group has had kind of two a place to continue the learning and also a place to practice interrupting and a place for you to bring your issue yeah i just had dinner with my family and you know that conversation about the gypsies didn't go so well mm-hmm. can you help me like how do i help them understand i don't want them to use that term anymore so as station manager not only did i continue to push for us to to train and and have uh, those available for our volunteers. We have also made them mandatory at some point. That was a staff, whole, all staff decision. Did these changes in any way require extra resources? Um, do you see any sort of sacrifice or did you see more gain in the culture around Cabin? Well, I mean, you know, it did definitely require some resources to like pay trainers, you okay. know, because again, you don't want to ask people to do emotional labor of having to, you know, like talk with people about right. those very hard topics and like do it for free you know right. and also we've tried to make people available for our volunteers of color you know to be able to have a resource uh, other than a volunteer coordinator who is a white person the change started to happen but this year we started actually understanding that the change would only happen if we were to shift to needed to change from prioritizing white volunteers and white voices to prioritizing the voices of uh, volunteers who are volunteers of color, who are trans, who are uh, don't identify on the gender spectrum, who are youth, who are women, who are all of these marginalized right. community people with disabilities, all of this. In order to do that, what we realized that we needed to do was actually create a way of holding all volunteers accountable. So um, I don't know if uh, the staff, I'm no longer station manager, so I don't know if the staff would choose to decide to uh, move forward with creating that contract. But we created a contract for all volunteers to sign, which kind of lays out you know, some of the regular things that you do as a volunteer, you know, like help with membership drive, you know, stuff like that. But then also, um, uh, you are responsible for acting a certain way and treating the other volunteers with professional boundaries, meaning other volunteers that are not here to entertain you because they look different, because this is the only place where you've seen someone who's intersex, because this is the only place you've seen a black person, that you will feel entitled to ask these questions. You are not entitled to ask these questions. Here is how people may respond, you know? And this is how you are expected to respond. When people tell you, no, that's not okay. When people tell you, you just said something, did something that made me uncomfortable. This is what you're expected to do. And if you don't do that, 
you will be you know giving a couple of opportunities to have conversations but depending on your attitude at the end of those conversations you know we might ask you to take a walk you know you know to be perfectly honest it sounds like this this agreement is basically asking people to be adults in a professional radio environment right but it's creating the process for staff to then be able to hold these folks accountable because as to right now if there's no standards set then everybody can just be like well i was being an adult or i did it's them and then you can just point but again it's like a question of changing the focus of of the resources from the person who did the offense to the person who was offended. So instead of spending a whole lot of time talking to the person who did the offense, trying to help them change, we're going to do that before a very limited amount of time and we're gonna track it and tell this person, hey, you ran out of your amount of available time, whatever, because if we continue to invest in trying to make you change, not that we don't believe that you can change, we are just a radio station. Yeah. We want to prioritize voices of the marginalized. That's what our mission statement says. Right. You know, Therefore, if we spend so much time and resources on you, we don't do that. Well, you know, that's actually very smart because and if to, to destabilize any organization that's for progress, all you have to do is divert resources. You, and you do that by causing chaos, by causing problems. And that's, you know, trying to keep your focus on a certain mission and saying, like, listen, I'm done talking to you about this problem. You have to leave now. That's very reasonable next step. But at this point, you've reached such pushback. I don't know that the pushback was based on on my on that work, but I resigned. I intended to resign at the end of the month of September of 2019. And they changed your resignation without doing this. And then um, they asked me to leave the next day, uh, which is, you know, absolutely fine. And I'm happy to share an, an analysis that can lead to how my departure of Kebu is, you know, linked to this culture that prioritizes, you know, white space. Because in, in choosing to do that, in choosing to create this contract and what was going to be created as well, you know, I'm as I say, I'm no longer in that position and I'm also not welcome in the community for some time. So we will see uh, where those efforts go. But what I was working on with the group, actually, that I just mentioned uh, that worked on Saturday and uh, some staff and volunteers was also being able to have available every month and a couple of times a month uh, how to interrupt workshop. So it's kind of like you don't know how to interrupt or you don't know what to say when you've been interrupted. Come to this workshop and we'll help you. It's not mandatory. You don't have to, but it's a resource. It's there. It's available. It's going to be offered twice a month. Wow. That was kind of my intention with with creating the contract. It's also creating the resources that are available because I don't know that you can ever tell someone these. this is the standard, but you have to find the resources on your own. Right. I'm always Again, I'm a community builder that is always my perspective first offer the resources and set the standards up but again i am not somebody who is a dictator i'm not choosing and setting the standards i have been collaborating with my community for the last eight years to understand what are those standards and maybe some members of our community that i've been collaborating with or whose insight and input i've had are not the mainstream or the folks who have the most pull, you know, Ikebu, but I um, definitely believe that that was the right, that should be the right way for Kebu to move forward. To become a more inclusive space, we need to understand that youth and parents will never send youth to Kebu to come hang out at night because some folks are using. And it's okay, you know, that you use, but we also have, again, as I say, some uh, youth whose, you know, parents will never be okay with them coming, you know, so that limits the space. We also have a lot of folks in recovery. So, and if people don't stand strong in their recovery, they right. might not access the space also, especially at night when they know that there are people who use uh, in the station. So, 
you know, our front door is not accessible, you know, so if you are in a wheelchair, you need to ask someone or have someone being able to let you in, you know. Mm -hmm. We are a radio station, but we don't do transcription, you know, we don't transcribe uh, any of uh, what we have available. So, you know, there's huge, huge, huge gap, you know, at Kebu of things that really we need to be concerned about if we are going to be meeting our mission. Absolutely. Well, meeting our mission and, and living up to what our self-professed identity right. is as right. a community. And what, again, we say on the airwaves is reflected. Like, a lot of the white folks who have shows on Kebu, the content that they choose to cover is very much about how we can bring racial equity, how we can bring gender equity, how we can, um, you know, have more environmentally suited planet, how we can, you know, so, so a lot of what we are already talking about is that. My issue is that we're talking about the things and we're not realizing that we are talking about the things and we are wanting a revolution when the airways and the organization through which we are providing this information right now that you are hearing over the airways is actually an oppressive system. Mm -hmm. It oppresses its staff, it oppresses the station manager. I believe it oppresses board members as well. It oppresses volunteers of color, definitely. It oppresses many women, many folks who don't identify on the gender spectrum, youth, and all of the folks who have not even came into Cabo. You know, people who don't speak English, you know cannot access cable you know so other than the oppression that you may suffer endure when you choose to come to cable and whether or not you choose to like stay for it because you understand the the wealth of the space as far as looking at the wider community of cable who started that collective who would you say is actually keeping it going if um the board is not present if the staff are also oppressed and the volunteers are also oppressed, where where does the action come from? Uh, well, I believe that the action should come from the membership. Okay. Because the membership is 5,000 strong, and actually even, I should say, the action should come from the listenership, which is 40,000 right. strong, you know, and maybe even more. Um, <clears throat> so... Because if you say that you like what you hear on Kebu and if you say you really want the revolution, you really want things differently, then you need to be aware that your money is, you know, being used in ways or uh, you listening and therefore then uh, your affiliation with Kebu is being used uh, to say something that... Yeah, I love the message. I'm 100% behind it. But in my role as station manager, when I became station manager, I realized that I didn't know there's so much I didn't know when I was a board president. I was board member. I was board president. I was on the supervision team of Monica Beamer, the previous station manager. And still, once I became station manager, I realized there was so much that I was not aware and the main thing that I realized is that really, as board member, I was not even qualified to be a board member because I was not qualified to be a station manager, you know? Uh, I still became station manager. I'm very thankful that folks hired me, but there was there's too much in this job, and it only pays $25 an hour how? for someone to be qualified to do it all. So how did you get the role as station manager? Um, who makes that decision? The board um, hired me. So at the time, I was on the board. So of course, you know, I removed myself from any of the hiring and any of the process. But at the, at the time, we had 12 board members, and four of them were on a hiring committee. Would you say, and, would you say any of the board members at that time would have been qualified um, in experience or training or any sort of education uh, to also be station manager of a community like Cable? Um, yes, because we had uh, Michael Wells on the board, who actually was okay. a Cable station manager Michael for Wells. some time. Yeah. Um, was Michael and Wells Michael on the hiring committee? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay, so Michael Wells was removed from the specific decision-making committee, but... Yeah, I believe maybe he had left the board 
by the time I was hired, but it had just happened, okay. um, you know. To remove ourselves from any one specific experience, we're looking at kind of like a, a system where it's, you would say it's the blind leading the blind. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And I believe that this is the major reason why I am uh, doing this interview, other than to share the other information I shared about the culture of Kebu, is, is really to be able, hopefully, for us to understand that we need to become active members. Kebu is a self-governing entity and it can only thrive, it can actually only work. Not just thrive, it can only work because right now it's only working out, you know, yeah. because the same group of people is doing all the work. It can only actually work when a diverse group of people are part of it, you know? But right now, out of 12 board members, there's only nine, maybe now even less than that. Then there's committees where, and when those committees only have a staff and a board member, that just doesn't work because right. these are already the people who do most of the work. So it needs to be more listeners, more members, more volunteers there in the committee. So a staff and a board member sit on each committee. Yes. And we're talking about the board being the decision-making group of people who are volunteer members of Kibu, but not directly employed by Kibu at the time. Yes. But they're responsible for allocating the resources that yes. Kibu receives from its membership, from yes. its listenership, and also funds and trusts which have been put in Kibu's names. Yeah. And so the decisions are not actually being made by people who are fully trained or experienced in radio or, you know, um, assessing what right. is happening in the culture here. Right. Um, but the decisions are being made by groups of people from the board and also staff members of Kibu, for which there is a very, very long, actually, longevity of, for a certain group of core members of staff. How long were you board member for? What would you say the average time for a board member and also a station manager has been? Because I know there's a pretty impressive track record yeah, with the sta there is station manager. Very, very, and and that is a major issue. There's m several grants actually that we have not been able to receive because of the high turnover in in a board. Uh, board member rarely do their three-year terms. Usually a board member is elected for three years and they rarely actually are able to do that. I was the board member for two years. I would say most people are board members for two years and then resign some people less than that. Uh, as far as board, as far as station manager, last year was our 50th anniversary, so we actually uh, collected, um, one of our volunteers spent a lot of time putting a list together of all the station manager, and I was number 35, which means that every 1.6 years, there is a different station manager. So that for me is indicative that there is a core issue. Yeah. Right. And so a core issue right. which is conveniently without a station manager driver with any right. significant longevity right. or ties to this culture. Right. So there's no consistent leadership and so the board has as much of a high turnover as the station manager, okay. right? And so again, they hire and fire the station manager, but as you also mentioned, they allocate the funds. So how are they able to first of all keep track of what Kebu is going to do in the future? Right. What Kebu is going to do today and tomorrow? Where should the funds go? First of all, where are the funds coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, and how do we keep it all going smoothly? Right. That unfortunately has been left to the station manager and staff to do, and that is too much. You cannot plan in advance and do the thing at, and 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 run the station at the same time. So the role of station manager has been overwhelming. You know, like. As I say, it's hard to get someone who's qualified to do it all because it covers so much from HR to supervising all of the staff, like HR dealing with union grievances, you know, all of that kind of stuff, then supervising all the staff and coaching in all kinds of different areas of expertise from radio engineering to radio programming to website designing to social media to volunteer managing to finance to administration to membership database management to fundraising wide variety of skills you need to be able to coach and support people in 
And then there is also the long-term strategic planning because who is planning for what you need to fundraise in the next few years. And then there's the actual fundraising because right. you need to create the strategy for the fundraising of the plan that you're trying to make. And then there's the whole culture aspect. Right. And the beloved community, we talked about it, was the initiative that I was pushing forth. You know, right. So all of these things the, the, the station manager is responsible for. It's huge. And then who... Who is your supervisor? The board. Who are the people on the board? Volunteers. Are these people actually qualified to do the job? Most of the time, no. My desire would be to see a quota of board members who actually could do the job, who could be hired to do the job. Even if not all of the job, but most of the job, I believe there should be at least six to seven board members who are either, have either nonprofit management right. experience or management experience, like actual managing a team of people. HR experience or even HR law, even maybe HR lawyer would be amazing to have on the board. Very much, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and we've had before, you know. Uh, By HR, I also want to replace the word resources with re rights. <laughs> with what? Human rights lawyer. Human rights. That sucker exactly. on the board. Hello. Exactly. <laughs> um, how about also uh, fundraising, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, like, um, uh, if the culture is a very important piece, then we should have a social worker or we should have uh, someone who is a community organizer, a, a facilitator, a mediator, uh, someone who is there to help with conflict resolution anytime. So all of these things are essential. And when you listen to the radio, you may think, you know, that all of these things are happening, that Kebu is really making those things happen. But unfortunately, the staff are mostly making it happen. And that is why station managers get drained or overwhelmed or overworked or in conflict with the board. And then a traumatic incident happened when they move on. I was trying to give a nine month uh, notice. I was asked to leave the next day. That's a huge traumatic um, uh, event for our staff uh, and from my perspective also it is a reckless based on managing our funds you oh, know yeah, because absolutely. from one day to the next again you invested membership members in in electing dear members in electing the board you in electing the board you chose to hire me then you trained me for two years and then i was asked to leave without being able to give any of my knowledge right. to anybody right and to be clear this decision uh to hand you this letter uh the next day after you handed in your resignation how many board members that was made by maximum nine there are only nine members on the board right now that would be correct, but okay. you would have to ask them that question because right. I, I was not part of making that decision. Of course, of course, right. I was part of recruiting yeah. a lot of the folks <laughs> who are on the board and training them and teaching them a lot of what I know and what I feel is my insight, you know, into this job. When a station manager rotates every two years, you always have someone who is adjusting and that is, in my opinion, why we're not making the progress that we want to see. But also, that means that really there's no long-term planning ever kept forward. Because I was a board member who was part of creating the strategic plan that, as a station manager, I was trying to implement. I do not believe that any of the current board members were part of creating that plan. I don't know if they are very familiar with it. Not as familiar as definitely I was or that a staff was. So how does that work but also it's like easy much easier when you have station managers that rotate for staff to feel trauma and anxiety around their job safety and security staff training also is not consistent staff accountability is not consistent staff support is not consistent you that know sound, it sounds like a great environment for for things to get let slipped you know what i mean exactly. if anybody was interested in existing in that environment for a very long time 
because for some reason it could be profitable or beneficial to them to stay right. in that environment. It sounds like it would be very convenient for that to happen, especially you leaving and station managers rotating over and over and board members rotating over and over. Right. Right. And I don't want to say, you know, that we are um, into conspiracy theory here, but this is kind of what I'm trying to explain to our membership is that when you listen, you are also responsible. And when you donate, you are also responsible for being a part of the self-governing body. Therefore, you have a responsibility to vote. The last, you know, four years that have tracked the election, 250 people have voted max. You know, that's like out of 5,000 people. So I do understand apathy. You know, again, if we look at the bigger picture of our society, a lot of that is absolutely reflected. I do get it 100%. But again, I thought that Ikebu things were very different based on what I heard on the radio, based on what I heard people talk about in the hallway. But then whenever it comes to actually do the dirty work, a lot of the time it's women, women identified folks, you know. Women identify folks yeah. a lot of the time, yeah. you know. Yeah. And this is, you know, um, becoming, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, a, a place that's just festering and that is just um, allowing uh, white space to be retained to be maintained but here i'm kind of caught at this very particular moment and that's also why i'm choosing to do this interview because of um all of these folks that have brought in all of these years you know yeah and mostly the young people the yeah. young people who i said you will be station manager one day and i will make this job actually feasible for you because now i feel like you know i'm not okay with um ever having told someone like you will be station manager when i know that they're gonna need to be oppressed in mm. order to be there yeah you know right. because from my vantage point again as having been a volunteer um a board member and a station manager from my vantage point as station manager i realized that there's a lot of information that only this person in this role holds yeah the staff are unionized they're your unit the board the board member they're another unit you know and there's a lot of things that they don't know and understand about the day-to-day -day because they're not here doing the things on the day-to-day -day, right you know? so again there's like you are a bridge you know and if you don't get the right support that you need you know and if you don't have uh, which maybe was my case, the right boundaries around taking care of yourself. So now I'm just left, you know, again, like, you know, wondering, I teach in the community, I teach multimedia, you know, and uh, uh, next week I'm taking my students on a tour of Kebu. I mean, I'm not because I cannot be there, but, you know, another That's of the, the teacher wow. is going to do. Yeah, so it's kind of like, but that would be my last time because how can I introduce a resource that whenever I say, it's a free community resource when yeah. I know to my students that actually is not a free community resource because the bear their barriers are real and for them to actually access that that resource there would need to be a whole lot of effort put forward I know because I have sustained five shows yeah you know three ran by some of my students yeah this is the kind of work that is required for reparations for the kinds of voices that we are asking to be on the air right, right, right. but if you're not actually putting cable is not actually putting those effort forward that i can know and guarantee i'm just done coming up with excuses for cable combined culture radio is gone yeah you know uh, a couple of other shows you know are coming up next week uh, we will see if they stick around after next week yeah because you know, i was the board up for those show uh voices that you've never heard before kitchen table conversation mary postal weight where have you heard someone who was a prostitute and who is like confronting their pimp that was one of the strongest stories i ever heard i cried i know i was in the room yeah that was amazing. I know. <laughs> I mean, I just cried just thinking about how many times Mary has made me cry on the radio, you know, and it really makes me sad, you know, to think that maybe one day or she would choose, you know, not to uh, to continue to share her voice based on the fact that, you know, she cannot be 
behind yeah. a space that is going to, um, you know, uh, not share and offer the compassion to someone who's given so much to the community. Well, you are, I mean, you're you're a powerful person, you're a powerful woman, and you you command a lot of space, you know, just in what you create and sort of demolish in preparation for other people. And you really do insist on that being your role. I don't care, like, what's been around for 28 years, like, it's, so, it, you know, let's open up a community for real. And so there's, that's going to leave a huge vacuum in Cabo, and we're all wondering what's going to happen next. What do you wish to see? Well, I just want to be clear that the only reason why I was pushing for that is because I thought everybody was on board. Oh, it's necessary. Exactly. Right. Same. Like, I mean, like, I thought I was pushing for that because... That's yeah, what they say. That's yeah. what they tell you. Exactly. The strategic plan says that. Yeah. In the strategic plan, we're talking about this beloved community where we have increased access to yeah. airtime, to leadership roles, yeah. to all of this for youth, for people of color, for people with disabilities, for, for women, for trans folks. For posterity, I want to say that like you're in my delayed reactions are still probably due to the fact that we're white ladies we, we, we honestly believed for a minute like for real how many people of color have you see, yes, seen sir. come and go in like six months and they're like they, they get it they're like no don't worry about it i'm like come out to cape they're like no that's fine get it now like but three years later it took me that long bummer but it's took true. me eight years. <laughs> hey, anyways, you got year five years on me. You, well, you're my mentor. I learned from you too. <laughs> See, no, this is exactly good because this is exactly. But then also, you know, I'm just really happy and excited yeah. because I know that there's going to be some space that is going to be preserved, and that there are some people that are, you know, going to continue to fight and that are continue going to continue, hopefully, to poke at it. Yeah. You ask asking me what do I hope to see I really truly hope to see that cable continues in the trajectory that it was you know going that I thought we were together you know moving forward I do understand that my leadership was very instrumental in making sure that it happens and but at the same time it's kind of like when you're a white person who's been giving opportunities to study for free African-American studies you know alongside you know um, other students who've shared from their actually lived experience and professors who've li had lived experiences the privilege that I have realized that I have if I don't use it whenever I am again in this very powerful role you know absolutely uh, if I don't use it in order to push for what actually is the vision not that what else is everybody else for if you're not going to <laughs> use it correctly right. when the time has come. You want to know what my vision for yes, Cabo is? tell us! Of uh -huh. course! That's what we want! Really? Tell us. My vision for Cabo is for it to be black. Hey, Cabo Station? Mm -hmm. Black Station Radio. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I believe that lots of languages, you know, should be represented, mm. you know? You know, absolutely not considering removing, you know, any of the indigenous voices. On the contrary, including increasing indigenous voices, including the the languages, you know, yeah. uh, that are spoken. You yeah. know, let's not just have music play in indigenous languages. Let's oh, actually yeah. have conversations. Let's actually have you know language folks. preservation is a huge issue right. in indigenous cultures but so so many voices yeah. need to be heard other than the voices that are currently on there well that's the solution that a lot of people say is required for our nation you know it needs needs to be handed back and you know i think the truly important way to reverse the damage that white supremacy has done not only to this nation to our personal lives but to the globe in general through colonialism is to put power back in the hands of black people that's honest that's what and indigenous people and indigenous and people give the land back to indigenous people absolutely no but this is what and i think like i think that talking about reparations is the hardest thing to do for white people yeah. yeah again like i am absolutely not you know sad that the journey ended you know or that it ended the way that it ended i am on the contrary you know just very excited to see where i go next and what you know 
what is my journey next but i really want for us to be focused as on you know as a community and as a city especially the city of portland on understanding that unless we accept that white people we have also a history of colonialism and we have a history of genociding our own indigenous people mm -hmm. you know and our own indigenous cultures uh, because the truth is that the reason why i'm in the united states is because i really thought at one point that i could become native like i was just the perfect white person who believed that um uh you know i had no culture mm. And that's kind of mind-blowing today because I walk and talk my Sicilian and Provencal culture everywhere and every day. Yes, but it's taking me, but it's taking me, you know, actually becoming a part of the Native community to understand that I'm indigenous from some place and I already have my own culture. Right. But first, I wanted to appropriate, you know. So I think that... Lots of white ladies have been there. Yes. To be honest, we are raised All to be empty vessels. Exactly. That's what, and that's that what misogyny is. Not is. Okay. And that's how misogyny plays into racism and white supremacy yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's not okay. No, you it's know, not. we are not empty vessels nope. and we need to start, you know, absolutely acknowledging that yeah. and stopping those identity crises yep. that make yep. us look so, <laughs> so freaking stupid. stupid. I hate that. That white fragility's gotta <laughs> yeah. go, people. Do I look pretty in this headdress? Oh my god, terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so because as you're absolutely right, because we're white ladies, maybe we did not realize that in time, but we it's absolutely true. Though. We were earnestly yeah. trying. Yeah. And I don't feel bad for it, but it's time to grow up at this point. Exactly. I'm aware. Sorry. My yeah. bad. <laughs> Anything you want to say? Last words? Well, I mean, I guess I just, I do want to say that my intention is not to scare people away from Cabo mm -hmm. or to make our members, you know, choose to move away. I really hope that I'm inviting the white people who run Cabo, who pay for Cabo to really take a deep look at what they are funding and if this is what they want to fund first of all they need to become active mm -hmm. because otherwise it's just not i mean it's going to continue the way it is and in my opinion it's kind of a misuse of our funds you know oh, when yeah, yeah, yeah. you just like have a rotating station manager rotating staff rotating board it's just not really working you know so let's just realize we've been misusing people's funds for many many years and let's realize that the only way that we can change that is by becoming more active and more involved not less and also by you know really truly examining you know what we need to do again reparations is the word that i believe we need to be looking at because it's the only way that we get to realize and understand our role as white people mm -hmm. in just what we've done historically but then also what we need because maybe we are not responsible for what happened in the past but we are responsible for what's happening today and what yeah. will happen in the future and how we make it happen it's only by actually giving to people what has been promised what have been stolen what has been taken by blood by slavery by genocide by poison blankets that's the, just the only way forward that's just it there's just no other way and if you talk to any native person you know that's what they will tell you and if you don't want to hear it then I hear it's difficult to hear, you know? I'm oh, not yeah. saying it's gonna be easy for us to have the conversation as to how we're gonna transition that. But maybe you're right. Maybe actually Kebu should not be black. Maybe actually Kebu should be native owned. Mm -hmm. And then the native people should choose what they want to do with it. True, yeah. You know? Maybe that's exactly what it should be. Because one of the things that also I was working on is on um, acknowledgement, a territory acknowledgement. I was trying to work with the local tribes to create an acknowledgement that once a day, at least on the radio, we would say we are on Chinook territory, uh, you know? Important. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, and so, yeah, maybe that is actually what we should do. Yeah. You know? Thanks a lot, Delphine. Thank um, you. Yeah, and hey, and I also want to point out that this this conversation is happening 
because of the immense love I've seen from you for Kibu community, the immense effort and the immense devotion and dedication, um, not just to specific, you know, marginalized groups of people, but to the grand scheme of the culture and what it can be. It's a beautiful vision. So thank you for all of your effort in your tenure as station manager. Thank you for everything you've done and taught me personally and everybody. Thank you so much, Carrie. Of it's course. It's been great to have you in my life and be part of this community with you. Oh. And with everybody else. Yeah. I love everybody. Okay. Everybody's cool. All right, cool. I'm cool. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> This is Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, and this is KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds an open meeting concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be conducted at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, unless otherwise noted. The Program Advisory Committee meets the second Tuesday of each month at 6 p.m. Please call 503-231-8032 to verify if a meeting is being held. KBOO Community Radio is a proud sponsor of the screening of the documentary film Big Money Agenda on Sunday, February 10th at 6.30 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. Big Money Agenda explores the effects of money in politics, Citizens United, as well as solutions to the issues of money and politics that's preventing real change. There will also be a discussion after the film. Again, that's the screening of the documentary film Big Money Agenda on Sunday, February 10th at 6.30 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the Real Music Film Festival through February 16th at the Witzel Auditorium, 1219 Southwest Park Avenue in Portland. On Friday, February 8th, the Real Music Festival will screen documentary Industrial Accident, the story of Wax Tracks Records. Wax Tracks Records was founded in 1975, the beloved record shop and label that has been based in Chicago since 1978. This documentary by Julian Nash details the rise, temporary fall, and legacy of Wax Tracks. Again, that's the Real Music Film Festival, showing Industrial Accident, the story of Wax Tracks Records, on Friday, February 8th at 7 p.m. at the Witzel Auditorium, 1219 Southwest Park Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Yeah.